Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a very exciting female founder that I think she's going to really teach us a lot about building and scaling, a lot about being a foreigner, uh, just like myself, coming here to the country, to the US and really making it happen. And then also a lot about AI and then going from technical to business. Uh, I guess you name it. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Ingle and Shia. Welcome to the show. Well, it's my great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So originally you were born and raised in, in China. So can you tell us about, you know, like being raised there? Like how was life there in China? So I was born um, and uh, raised um, in Suzhou, actually a very beautiful city in China. So Suzhou has a rich culture of uh, being old city uh, having history 2500 years and above and therefore um, there's a lot of focus actually on kind of pursuing kind of a more focus on more academic study and um, with uh, that kind of rich culture so i feel um it was quite uneventful and um peaceful like sort of uh, my for my both mother and father they are the ones always encourage me to do well in school. And uh, um, I have always been thinking during my very early childhood that I wanted to grow up to be a scientist and uh, to have a PhD. It's, it was interesting because that seems like everybody, every child's dream um, when we were growing up. So that's uh, um, what I was taught about. And uh, um, I've been working toward that and being good students following along until uh, I go to college and went to uh, Peking University, one of the best universities in China, but uh, I went to uh, Beijing. It's a different city um, to experience a different culture. And, um, but I would say uh, it was actually a very peaceful childhood, really focused on very academic, like so science. Um, so, uh, Probably that shaped me kind of to be who I am and um, being where I was pursuing on the more academic side. And computer science, how did you get into computers? Um, so for computer science, it was actually a new concept. I, I wouldn't say it was a, a choice. 
by uh, myself, like sort of knowing what it is to jump into that. And I think I had some early exposure knowing when I grew up, uh, it was not uh, very pervasive, like uh, to be uh, accessible, like sort of computers to the kids those ages. It was a little bit foreign to me. I had occasional access to computer when I was in middle school, but they really didn't have a lot of whole lot of concept uh, of computer science. And so um, when I was looking at Beijing University, oh, I fascinated and want to go to that particular place. And um, so I was actually, I entered uh, that university uh, uh, with an early admission, waived the entrance exam, and because I was one of the like top students. And um, so my school principal kind of, he picked the subject for me to some extent. And okay. um, I had a relative working at the China Academy of Science who told me that I was a good major. So that gets thought of it. So it was not picked by me. It was very accidental, but I ended up loving it. That's amazing. Well, very glad to hear that uh, you have always been very much into academics. If I ever decide, England, to go back to, to school, I'll definitely call you for the homework. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So okay, I'll keep you posted. So anyhow, so so then how do you end up really, because obviously Carnegie Mellon, you know, would be the the next um, a big milestone, I guess, in your in your career. Uh, and obviously what led you to come here to the U.S. So So tell us about this. I would say it was a continuation of pursuing the best study of the same theme that I had in my childhood. So um, uh, I was the best kind of a high school in my hometown. And then my next step is I want to go to the best college, which I did. I was picking university in Beijing. And uh, um, I want to continue that. Since I was in computer science, I was fascinated and loved the subject. Obviously, my next step is... Uh, really to fulfill my childhood dreams. I want to get a PhD. Uh, I want to go to the best uh, place for that and the most advanced place. And the Carnegie Mellon University in the U.S. definitely has a, uh, the, the best like sort of a place to for me actually as a next step to pursue my graduate study. So it becomes a natural choice to me to say, let me apply these top schools and these top advanced like PhD programs. See if I can get admitted. If I could, I would be thrilled, like sort of to continue that my childhood dream. So that led me to Carnegie Mellon University Computer Science PhD program. Very cool. And uh, then after you did that, obviously you started to really get a lay of the land. Uh, and you know, you you stayed there for quite a bit, but then then Microsoft came into your life. So how, how did you how, how how did this happen and and what was going on with Microsoft? Why did you decide to go and work for Microsoft? So when we uh, at that time so I stayed at Pittsburgh for a long time, and um, I really wanted to continue to do research and being in that environment, Carnegie Mellon University, particular place, very proud of itself of these early pioneers of computer science, the entire subject, right? The entire kind of industry. And um, continuing to challenge that advance, to take the mission to advance the state of art of the whole industry was uh, uh, everybody's pursuit. The question is really uh, after facing like graduation is do I want to go to 
continue to go on to the academia path, to some schools become a faculty, or I should pick an industry uh, to do something entirely different. And uh, frankly, if you look at the industry, we could go down to the very much jump into the industry industry of uh, uh, doing hands-on job of more engineering part. Or there could be the middle ground of research. And um, to me, like after being so long, like in academia, we really wanted to kind of at that time, just it's it's difficult to kind of immediately say, uh, I want to be the other side and doing product engineering, really continue want to do research. But at the same time, I feel being in this ivory tower for a long time enough that I wanted an industry environment to see what other things uh, in reality look like that is different. So that's what I want to do. At the same time, I said, well, if I want to go to industry research, then what's the best place to do it? So at that time, Microsoft Research really, uh, I think still now, is probably one of the best research labs. And among all choices of locations, Microsoft Research, I have to say, uh, I intentionally I picked like Silicon Valley. I like the Silicon Valley location um, because this is this is a place where you get the, the industry flavor, the research part. At the same time, you uh, see a lot of new things going on in general, being in this area, right? Yeah. Uh, of the real world, uh, exciting things. And for the particular lab, uh, um, I think uh, what really also attracted me was. The colleagues that I got the chance to work with, we have a fantastic group of colleagues who previously worked at Park Lab and um, Xerox Park and coming to Microsoft. These were the pioneers of the computer science uh, industry, and uh, they were the Turing Award winners. And um, so um, these are the kind of colleagues where I feel I can actually inspire me a lot to continue um, to pursue kind of the best of uh, continue to advance the state of art, but in a different environment. So that's really, I felt without no hesitation, that's a place I want to go. And you stayed in, in Microsoft for something like seven years. So, I mean, quite, quite a bit of time. And, and this actually gave you <clears throat> one of the most important things, which is uh, to meet your co-founder, Fang Yu, uh, which, uh, you know, actually your co-founder at, at Data at DataVisor. So, so I guess um, uh, as a segue into Datavisor so that we can really start talking about battlefield and really getting out there and, 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 and making it happen. Uh, what were your biggest takeaways uh, from, let's say, let's say if you had to say your three biggest takeaways from working for such a big organization like, like Microsoft? I mean, what would those three big takeaways be? I would say... Um... Uh, we worked uh, at uh, Microsoft at the same time. It was a specific environment of a research lab and was not uh, also any Microsoft research lab. I would say Microsoft Research Silicon Valley. I highlighted this because you have to understand the culture, the root, the background was Xerox Park Lab uh, formerly. So um, what I actually uh, felt myself but out of this, what I found that's also some of my best years, like I enjoyed working there, is um, I got the total freedom of being able to work on the topics that I'm excited about. I'm grateful for such an organization, I think, with the kind of luxury of having 
this research lab having this freedom to let us uh, really have the uh, opportunity to explore, to challenge the state of the art, to do it. And second of all, uh, although we got a lot of freedom, a lot of uh, uh, flexibility to do that, for big organizations like Microsoft, if you want to make things to reality, saying, I want to turn my research result into something that impacts the industry, impacts the product teams, and um, in the end, impact everybody a little bit more directly, that's still very challenging to do because that's a big organization that you need to collaborate with different teams and um, there are boundaries and um, there is resource investment. So sometimes things take time. And also other times uh, there are all kind of the, the cross-team collaborations going on that could potentially slow things down as well. So that's the second aspect uh, of it. And um, so the third thing I really learned like from uh, Microsoft is I, I got the, the basically uh, opportunity to really look at uh, the problems that uh, uh, impact big enterprise. And, and for Microsoft, the teams we work with, many of them are consumer facing. They actually work with hundreds of millions of users. And um, really, uh, the scale is phenomenal, and the resources a lot. So I feel lucky there that I got the chance to access uh, the hardest of problems and uh, a real big data set, and at the same time have access to a lot of computing computation power. And that's actually the leading of the industry at that time that uh, empowered us to work on the type of research we want: this big data this AI, this machine learning, and um, moving on to this billion user era that's really kind of enabled us to study these topics inside and out. And then came to kind of the idea of data visor. So when Fa and I decided we want to do data visor, we, we can aim high of ourselves. We were able to come out of that environment to say, our mission is we wanted to come up with a brand new kind of new framework um, that uh, will tackle some of the hardest problems we've seen across these different teams. At the same time, we want to work with the largest enterprise in the world. We want to solve problems uh, that impact like sort of all these consumers at extremely large scale. And at the same time, the one thing we want to get out of DataVisor, which I mentioned for Microsoft is a little more difficult to provide, is we wanted to be able to uh, kind of come out of that research environment, be more tangible, be able to uh, having a company that turn these ideas into realities that could generate value for all companies and all customers and any large enterprise in the world. So that's kind of a, seems a natural kind of continuation, but in completely different environment, we want to pursue that. And, you know, quite an interesting change of... Uh of path, no, because here you are coming from, you know, a family very much into academics, very much into perhaps the traditional uh, routes, you know, probably they were super proud of um, seeing you now working at one of the giants, the tech giants. And here you are, you know, you decide to uh, give up on the traditional, on the steady uh, paycheck in nine to five, and you go at it and, and you become an entrepreneur. So, uh, tell us about that day 
or or the events that that happened leading up to that day that you and Fang said, let's give our notice and let's say um, let's start executing on this dream that we've that we've incubated. Uh, yes, that actually was quite an interesting and part. So we too have been talking about uh, basically uh, for like before we leave Microsoft. Obviously, we started talking about. We too wanted to pursue something different. We wanted to stop working. We wanted to start from scratch, right? Being entrepreneurship. I think uh, being in the valley, there are a lot of discussions, thoughts. Maybe one thing I want engineers would have dreams about. I don't think anybody took us initially seriously, including our families. And um, I felt uh, that uh, startup entrepreneurship is a subject people just like to talk about. I don't think they realized that we two are really serious about it. I would put yeah. that way. So when the day comes, when um, I was kind of talking to my husband just to say, well, we're really going to do it. And he felt like sort of, I think our colleagues and my husband all felt we're kind of nuts. Kind of we have this great job. We establish our reputation. We were highly successful. We want to go give all this up and to start something that, uh, it's completely unknown, and we don't know. And the two of us, obviously, you see our background, probably could have a good judgment to say at that time, we probably don't know too much about it, right? And um, so that was the first kind of reaction. And then I was, I'm kind of, I, I was talking to my husband. I told him, well, just think about that. Just think of me as a, a like sort of a, a housewife, maybe, uh, except I just don't do that. I'm just not like sort of I'm not working anymore. Treat me as a housewife, except I don't do housewife things. And he looked at me and he said, you were never a housewife. Now you want to stop earning money completely. <laughs> so <laughs> conversation. And the two of us, Fong and I, we went to uh, our director, lab director, and we told him that we two are leaving. We want to quit. So we talk about this thing on because we two really wanted to leave. We said, what are we going to say? We're going to tell him this is our opportunity. We wanted to start this company um, of unknown. We don't have a name yet. But what do we want to do? And he was shocked. He looked at us. Do you really, you two, know what you're working into? Are you ready? Do you, do you know what the startup is like? Right? He was like, uh, well, you two are doing great. We'd love you to come back. You're going to lose a lot on the table up front. You have stocks, etc. You're going to give all this up and, and just leave. And what if, like, uh, in a few days, you realize, or maybe two months down the road, this is not what you want, and you're going to lose a lot. So think carefully. So what he encouraged us to do is really to talk to uh, a few folks who have startup experience, and then understand this and say, are we ready for this? I think that was good advice. So Fang and I, we did our work. So we talked to the people he recommended, and we also talked to some of our friends. And in the end, uh, a few weeks later, we talked to him and said, how is it? We told him, according to everybody's comments and suggestions, we too are totally not ready. And um, But at the same time, we still want to do it. Everything needs a start. We're not ready. We want to get ready. We cannot get ready at Microsoft. We need to leave Microsoft and get ready. So we pretty much determined that. That's how it starts. 
Very interesting. And and I understand as well that that when you guys, you know, finally give this notice and start thinking about, you know, what you guys are going to be executing on, what are you going to be creating and building? I know that the perhaps the reaction from your friends and family was a bit different from those customers that you were going after. Tell us tell us about this. So, um I think from like sort of our past experience, we've been working on also security, AI, machine learning. So it was not kind of completely unrelated area, except we want to work differently. Before we were doing more kind of a project by project, solving specific problems. And now we're coming out. We wanted to build something common, generic, and solve a lot of people's problems together, right? We don't want to solve problems one by one. And um, so that never scale. So that's what we wanted to do. So we do have then friends and the people we work with in the past, uh, while we were in Microsoft, who actually have talked to us, consulted uh, our opinion. So those are the ones immediately we thought might be early customers that we should talk to and um, to see if they want to work with us. So we came out of Microsoft and around that time, and so we wanted to have a company, we wanted to start something new. Are you going to work with us? They all said, well, you two are great. We'd love to work with you because they approached us in the past and see they can collaborate with us. Obviously, they said a lot of great things. They want to work with us. So that gives us also some kind of confidence. We might be able to work with these people as our early customers. But interesting, the reality is when the two of us really decided uh, uh, we, we're going to quit and we left Microsoft and we show up as two person. And we go back, we went back to these friends, early customers, said, now here we are, we're available, the two of us. Are you going to work with us? Everybody felt, well, I probably don't want to be the first guinea pig. And no, probably, right? Mm -hmm. So that was, I would say, um, a lot of rejections, early rejections in the beginning. That's probably not surprising. So what did you learn about rejection? Um, so when we left Microsoft, it was uh, actually winter time. And uh, um, so that first winter, uh, when I look back, kind of started from like December, January. It was also like this year, rained a lot and very cold. We too went to different customer lot. We went to city a lot. And um, back then at Microsoft, it was very interesting. We hardly go to cities. Each time we went to kind of a city SFO, we feel it's a big thing. We need to take trains. We drove a lot that winter to the city. And we still get a lot of rejection. It felt miserable at that time just uh, uh, to, to retrospect luck. And so, but at the same time, we had the two of us. So that was really a bad thing. It felt like sort of the lucky thing and the, um, uh, one of the lucky things really is to have Fang as my co-founder and we work together for a long time. We help each other. So we talk to each other. We say, let's build something. And um, I think we, we will get somewhere. I think it was that kind of belief. Really, we continue to push on. Got it. So what ended up being the business model for the people that are listening? So our business model, Datavisor, we are a kind of SaaS provider of a variety of uh, services and uh, platform tools 
to solve uh, this uh, fraud problems for large consumer-facing enterprises. And um, for example, we would say a lot of common problems for the financial industry. People have uh, uh, all kinds of fraud in like application fraud, transaction fraud, anti-money laundering. And for the uh, customers in the social commerce industry, marketplace, have promotion abuse. And you have also that uh, uh, transaction like sort of fraud as well. And as well as then you have these fake reviews, content abuse. And uh, for marketplaces, you have buyer seller uh, fraud, listing fraud. So a variety of different fraud going on. So our mission, Datavisor's mission is to restore trust for these uh, online connected enterprises as well as more like traditional industries. And um, we provide uh, uh, this uh, variety of AI and technology tools and platforms to empower them to do that. Very cool. So then talk to us about fundraising, because I assume that for something like this, you need a little bit of money to really execute. So, so how did you go about raising that capital? Mm. So if we look at our fundraising experience, I would say it's uh, um, that's probably some of the things that is going on relatively smooth, maybe better than we anticipated. Actually, I would say when we left Microsoft, we had no expectations to know how difficult or easy fundraising is. That's one of the things we've got to do. We, we don't know what the subject's going to be look like. So at the beginning, we all we were thinking is getting some angel support from maybe friends and um, past colleagues and mentors. That's what the, I think we got. Luckily, we do have some mentors, friends who are committed to support us. So that assured us as a first step to say, it's come out. We will get some baby step support. Um, I think the lucky thing is that uh, we also are in the Silicon Valley location. There were a lot of great VCs. And um, quickly after we left Microsoft, we were approached then by some of the VCs who heard us leaving Microsoft and wanted to talk to us. We actually were very surprised about like sort of uh, VCs in Silicon Valley. They actually are also aggressively looking for a great people to work with as well, different aspects. So we were quickly approached by people and uh, we talked. How did they know? How did they know that you were leaving? Um, yeah, uh, that's actually surprising to us as well. Um, apparently, like sort of uh, in the Valley, seems the whole like sort of entrepreneur, the startup world, it's very well connected and you always yeah. will find companies looking for great people. So. Um, with this network connection, sometimes people looking for, for example, co-founders looking for this. We were approached by VC who's like in that situation. They were looking for co-founders for one of the entrepreneurs they're supporting. And they heard the two of us available out there. So the first actually touch is to reach out to, to us to say, well, you wanted to do something. You wanted to start a company. Why don't you join this company that they're funding as co-founders with a similar topic and related in the big security industry area? So that's kind of the start. When we got the chance to be connected, learn a little bit, but you know, the two of us being working there, we, we have our own mind and thoughts. And so that leads to basically us saying, 
no, thank you very much. Um, I, we'd love to work with you. These are great people, but we have our own ideas. We want to work on our own company. We, we have to reject this offer. So maybe let's part ways. And then um, you would have these VCs say, well, we really like you as great people. Let's, let's look at your ideas then maybe. And so that's really mm-hmm. the start. And once you start that, we basically were looking at maybe we should talk to a few more. We, we don't want to just talk to one VC, maybe talk to a few more. We, we are not in a position to talk to many because we only need yeah. a, few, a small amount of support at the beginning. So that was the beginning of the fundraising. Got it. Because how much capital have you guys raised today? Um, today, we actually uh, raised a fair amount, I would say. Uh, of uh, a typical like sort of a serious uh, C plus company and um, um, probably like sort of close to the yeah, 100 million like sort of, um, uh, of that ballpark between 50 and 100 million. But uh, back then, looking at the first fundraising, early days, we were thinking about first of all only angel money, so the 200 to 3. Uh, 100k that's what we were looking for the initial seed when we got connected to vcs we increased that expectation maybe too because of fact we're working with them we're talking us to maybe thinking about at least 750k but in the end i would say uh the vcs wanted us to take more so that very first month fundraising actually lead to a three million dollar uh first and I understand as well here that uh, England that that you guys also raised money from not only from the U.S. but then also from China. So, so what's the difference? I would say in mindset from let's say during discussions and during pitching to let's say a U.S. investor versus a, a Chinese investor. Uh, yes, that's an interesting topic. I'm always saying that's not by intentional that we wanted to go out to say, let's pitch to China investors. It's pretty much the nature of our work. We are very global um, uh, company in terms of our customer footprint as we work with these largest consumer-facing companies. These necessarily definitely include uh, particular, for example, large internet type of companies and social commerce and gaming companies. Many of these large enterprises in China. So the fact that the large Chinese company willing to become our customer even when we started remotely like in the U.S., I think attracted some of the investors and they came to the valley and uh, to talk us of accepting their money so that they can help us seriously expand into China. And um, so I think that's a start of when we started considering taking money from China investors as well. And um, it was not about China investors. It was really about going global because our customers are global. If you look at DataVisor today, we have customers, uh, not just U.S. and China, but we have customers, many customers in Europe, Southeast Asia, these different places. And that's where we feel super proud of solving problems um, across the globe. Because if you look at security, right, security, fraud issues, that is a global issue. These attackers are going to be everywhere. And we are attacked by these botnets, by these machines. And um, the attack that you receive from U.S. may not just be originating like so from U.S. They can originate from anywhere in the world. And that's the same thing. So I think that's the future of Got our it. work. 
that's a start. But I would do say the two different uh, investors are slightly different. In particular, I would say the investors from like China, and um, they actually uh, really want to focus more on the growth perspective, and um, compared to kind of more, I would say. Uh, investors in the U.S. a little bit more traditional, um, the enterprise and um, China is kind of more focused on the consumer facing. They they are very experienced with consumer facing the last of wave of, of growth. So I think they brought on the table a lot of the knowledge and the value for working with companies like those. I think it's very helpful as well. Very cool. So. So, how many people do you have now in the in the um, in the company in DataVisor? How many how many of you now? I saw that it was uh, up north of a hundred uh, people. Is that right? We have around one hundred fifty people now globally. Very nice. So let's say uh, England, you go to sleep tonight, okay? And let's say uh, you end up sleeping for five years in a row, and then all of a sudden, in five years, you're waking up. And you're waking up in a world where the vision of DataVisor is fully realized. What does that world look like? Well, um, that definitely would be a nice topic to talk about. And uh, I really envision like sort of DataVisor uh, to be a company that plays a leading role, like we leverage the best technology uh, to solve a variety of fraud problems, I would say, um, coming from academia world coming from where I was, always challenging kind of the state of the art. And always uh, the commission is to advance the state of the art. I would say DataVisor carries the same mission. Our goal is not to provide a solution, but our goal is to provide some of the best solutions in the world. And then really benchmark ourselves. Our team is being the team that we wanted to do something best of the world. And um, therefore, really are going to commit it to improving our technology and product product to challenge the team to reach that goal. And I want our technology to be the leading one that solves some of the hardest problems at the same time to provide a variety of uh, the choices to the customers of different stages uh, of leading to the problem. We understand like sort of customers have different growth stage. They probably need a different varieties of solutions some of them more require managed fraud detection service. Others are more platform flavor that they wanted the complementary solution that enhance them. So how do we enrich our product portfolio and not only have the best technology, but also uh, have the rich needs and have the, also some of the best user experience as well, delivering for these customers in a global sense. That's where we want to be. At the same time, we not only want to solve these hard, difficult security problems, but we also believe many of the technologies and platforms we developed can be expanded to solve slightly broader issues related with this AI and machine learning in a broader, for example, risk control area, data analytics area. So um, I see that our technology can gradually be expanded across multiple industries. But obviously, my near term, like a dream, like you said, wake up. If we, for one thing, we can have the best technology and product to solve kind of problems um, for everyone and um, uh, become the, the leading one in the 
fraud and risk area, I'd be very happy. That's our first kind of dream in this. Longer term, I really want uh, what we provided, what we enabled our customers can be used to broaden that vision to help many different issues as well and to, to bring value. So uh, I would say um, that's what my ultimate vision and the goal uh, to be there. Very nice. Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot happening in your space uh, and definitely, you know, there's, uh, it's very hot, uh, a very hot space. So, so there is obviously one thing and that is an, as an entrepreneur to, to be able to be in a space or build a business that basically you're doing it at the right time in history. So I guess that's where you guys are at, which is very cool, England. And I wanted to ask you one question that I typically ask the guests that come on the show, and that is, if you had the opportunity to go back in time and have a chat with your younger self, England, let's say uh, those days where you were still in Microsoft and maybe chatting with Fang about whether or not it would make sense to give the notice and, and really make it happen. Knowing what you know now, if you could have that conversation and give yourself one piece of business advice before launching a business, what would that be and why? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. And um, I, I wanted to say like sort of this one piece of advice um, that I would give uh, to everyone is really, I think uh, it's probably very specific to me because um, I come from this also all the way from academia and immediately to the other spectrum of entrepreneur. So really, but at the same time, I really felt that's a true is uh, um, actually, um, I would say, to be very open-minded to listen to what a customer wants. I really felt at the same time, we have a lot of great ideas. I really felt what uh, helped us along the way is to work with the customers and to hear what they want and um, to really value to these customers, I would say, do not do anything, do not deviate that, having the great product, solving their problem and um, to guide us. Whatever great ideas need to generate value, this is what we feel would be super helpful. And um, we've been doing that. And um, I feel we could do more even early days to make us faster. Very nice. So, Inglian, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? So we can always be reached uh, by uh, coming to our website and um, we can show like these demos and uh, we have actually chatbot. That's another way we're leveraging the best technology to be connected to the world. And um, so um, feel free to come to our website, datavisor.com and um, to book, uh, for example, demo requests and trial requests. And for anybody who wants to chat with uh, me specifically, um, I'm always available to uh, to be reached by LinkedIn, by email as well. Wonderful. Well, Ingliam, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure uh, to have this conversation. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember, that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. 
You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.